the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Matthew. is like a mirror. It will expose yourself in ways you've never seen before. Um, who's married here and can say amen to that? Right? And, and it will cause you to realize some of your shortcomings, deficiencies, and it'll cause you to become more Christ-like if you will turn that into, Lord, how can you do your good work in my heart so that I can be the best husband or the best wife to this wife or man that you've given me. In today's message, Pastor Gary will share with you about marriage. Marriage, in the biblical sense, could be described as the union between two people before God. And from God, there are many things that we can learn about marriage. Christ is often referred to as the groom of the body of Christ. So how did Christ the groom live and treat us, his bride? He gave everything. He sacrificed his needs for the needs of his bride. He's the perfect example of how marriage should be between both husband and wife. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Matthew, chapter 19, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. So Jesus lays this framework. He says, we we need to all understand this original design, original intent. This is God's, this is the ownership of marriage. He implemented it, he instituted it, and he joins couples together. And then when he responds, because they ask, verse 7, why then? Did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Now, underline that word, command. They get it wrong. They say, why did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Note with me that when Jesus begins now to address this, what we'll call Moses controversy, he makes note of the fact that they got the word wrong because in response, verse 8, Jesus replied, Moses permitted. He didn't command. He permitted. God never commands divorce. He never commands it. But he permits it in some situations. But God hates divorce. That's what Malachi 2.16 tells us. God hates it. And why do you think God hates divorce? It's not just because he implemented it and instituted it. It's because marriage exemplifies God's love and permanence towards us. That Jesus is the groom and the church is the bride. And it kind of goes back to the parable of the unmerciful servant. If we have been loved and forgiven by God, 
in such an incredible way, how is it that divorce, which is the severing of that relationship, how is it that we can go forward with something that God doesn't do towards us, even though we have offended Him and wronged Him in so many ways and in so many times? God doesn't just divorce us. God doesn't dismiss us. God doesn't get rid of us because we have wronged him, sinned against him, offended him. He still loves us and he's merciful and he he has compassion. But then in a human relationship, when we decide, well, you've wronged me or you've sinned against me and I'm going to just divorce you, we are not honoring the relationship that God has given unto us in the same loving way that he forgives and he restores and he uh, is gracious towards us. We don't do that in marriage when we just sever and divorce and decide we're just done. God doesn't treat us like that. So he hates it when we are treating each other like that. That's why he hates divorce. Now, as Jesus then moves into this understanding here, he says, look, Moses permitted this. God didn't command it. Moses permitted it. And why did he permit it? He says, because of your hardness of heart. Sometimes in a marriage, there becomes such hardness of heart where one or often both do not want to take the necessary steps towards reconciliation. They're hard at heart. And Moses said because there was this ongoing hardness where people did not want to reconcile, he permitted it, but it was not God's original intent. It was not God's original design. And he takes it back to that because he says, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. And this is where then Jesus gives one of the two reasons for acceptable divorce, never commanded, but permissible. Uh, And the one is, he says clearly here, marital unfaithfulness. He sides, or I should say the school of Rabbi Shammai sided with God, but in terms of the conventional wisdom of the day, the great debate, is it Shammai, is it Hillel? Jesus comes down to the side of Shammai because he says, look, it has to be sexual immorality. That's, that's only a reason why someone is indecent enough to sever the marital bonds because they've committed sexual sin and they have severed the marital covenant by their own marital unfaithfulness. Now, Jesus uses the word here. It's in the Greek, pornea. It is a broad term. It covers not just adultery, but it covers sexual immorality of various kinds. It is a broad term. Jesus is giving a little broadness there because there can be various types of sexual sin. Uh, I don't need to get graphic and I don't need to define it all, but, but that's why Jesus uses a generic term like pornea because he says there can be sexual immorality that severs the marital covenant that is not just simply the act of adultery. There can be other forms. And uh, so he speaks here about marital unfaithfulness. Now, there is, in Scripture, another reason where divorce might be permissible. And by the way, before I explain what the second one is, if there's been marital unfaithfulness in your marriage, it does. Jesus is not saying, now you should get divorced. He's saying it's permissible. God is always, because it's his nature, he's always first about forgiveness and restoration. That's his nature. That's what he is with us. So even if there's been a horrible uh, breaking of marital faithfulness, he's not saying now you should get divorced. 
that might be the end result after trying to work on it and, and, and getting the Lord's help and healing, but he's not suggesting this should happen. He's saying this is a permissible reason. And so if you've gone through that, uh, some of your marriages have been miraculously restored. It doesn't mean it's, it still may not hurt from time to time, but God miraculously can heal and restore. And then there are other times where uh, it just is so difficult and the insurmountable amount of betrayal seems to be so deep that it's so difficult for people and, and they just simply feel like they can't reconcile. And Jesus says, it's permissible. It's not ideal, but it's permissible. Now, the second thing that the Bible teaches us as a grounds for divorce is abandonment by an unbelieving spouse. And this is what Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And he talks about how if you are a believer and you're married to an unbeliever, if your unbeliever, the unbelieving spouse, wants to remain in the marriage, remain in the marriage. Then it might be tough, but remain in the marriage. Because he talks about how your unbelieving spouse is sanctified by the believing spouse, meaning that the unbelieving spouse is exposed to a greater degree of godliness and Jesus and the Bible through your believing life. So he, he says, don't divorce if your unbelieving spouse wants to stay married to you because you might be the only good witness and example of Christ to that unbelieving spouse. However, he says, if your unbelieving spouse wants to leave and you have done everything you can to try to hold it together, uh, you can let your unbelieving spouse go. And that's what Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And these really are the only two grounds, according to Scripture, for divorce. Now this leaves, I'm aware, I'm quite aware after 20-some years of pastoral ministry, this leaves wide open a lot of other issues. And, and I get this, and you know, I, I, I had a lady email me during the week as I made reference last Wednesday night that we were going to be probably touching on the subject of divorce. And so she asked me a question that I have gotten often over the years. What about things like, you know, emotional or physical abuse or these kinds of things? What are you supposed to do in that case? Because it's not specifically outlined as a reason for divorce in the Bible. And then, of course, there are other issues. She didn't mention this in her, e in her email, but, you know, I've talked to so many people who have drug-addicted spouses or alcoholics, and, and, and their world is just chaotic, and it may not even include, oftentimes alcoholism can lead to physical abuse, but it may not even include that. It's just the recklessness of the behavior of an alcoholic spouse and, and our money and gambling and all these kind of things, and, you know, how am I supposed to remain in a situation like this? And, and all I can say to you is, that the Bible only gives two, two specific reasons for divorce. There may be reasons for separation. And in fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, uh, Paul will talk about separation, and he says this in 1 Corinthians seven ten. He says, To the married I give this command, not I but the Lord, a wife must not separate from her husband. But if she does... She must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and a husband must not divorce his wife. There is reason for a, a couple to be separated. If, if you feel like your life is in danger, that's reason to be separated. If you are living with a spouse who, and this gets very subjective, and I, and I you know, I, even the term like mental abuse is very subjective, and I don't even know what that means. 
specifically, uh, as it might relate to individual cases. So, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't mean to say, okay, mental, what defines mental abuse? You know, did he raise your voice at you? You know, I, I mean, guys, listen, you're going to hear from your wife at some point that you're, you're raising your voice and you're too loud. And every single guy here is going to do the same thing. I've done it. I've said, that's not loud. You want to hear loud? Okay. All right, so tones mean different things. Ladies have different ears than men do. Men can be talking loudly and, and to her, but to him it's just like, this is how, this is how I talk. It's not, it's not. And so there can be all this kind of thing. So even when I think about how some people might interpret you know, emotional or mental abuse. It's so, it's so subjective, okay? But if you obviously feel like your life's in danger or your family is such a mess in, in the sense that, you know, there's drugs or alcohol or, or any kind of abuse or, or these kinds of things, it might be necessary to get separated. But please know this, that Paul says, if you are to separate, don't divorce. The goal of separation is not a stepping stone towards divorce, the goal of separation is a cooling off period, hopefully for reconciliation. And I don't care what the Commonwealth of Virginia says as far as well, you need to be separated and then it's a stepping stone to divorce. Oh, and by the way, everybody says it's okay to date when you're separated. It's not okay. Separation is not just now a new little in-between period between your spouse and divorce where now you can date and get involved in other relationships and try to figure out who you might be attracted to. That's not a biblical reason for separation. There might be necessity for separation, but it is for the goal, hopefully, of reconciliation. It's not to start playing the field and start dating around and find out who the next spouse might be. It is for prayer. It's for fasting. It's for reconciliation. It's for hoping that God's going to do a miraculous thing to restore two people where there's sin issues that, that need to be deeply and desperately resolved. It's not a license to just begin to play the field and fool around and find out what else is out there. We've become so just irreverent towards the whole idea of marriage in our culture today. And sadly, even in the church, where Christians are, this whole no-fault divorce thing, and, well, we have irreconcilable differences. That's what marriage is. <laughs> there are irreconcilable, you are two distinctly different people. That you, There are going to be some things that are irreconcilable. What kind of an excuse is that? We have irreconcilable differences. <laughs> oh, really? That's called marriage. But in all seriousness, all this stuff about I have unmet needs and I'm unfulfilled and I'm unhappy, those are never reasons for divorce. God, God never said that marriage was always going to be happy. I, I love a quote by uh, Agatha Christie. She said once that women should always marry an archaeologist because the older you get, the more interested he'll become. <laughs> now, just think about it. Uh, and, and so, you know, look, every... Every marriage is going to have its challenges, it's going to have its strains, it's going to have its sin issues. And, you know, I don't think it's any coincidence that Matthew 19 is on the heels of Matthew 18. There has to be tremendous amounts of grace and forgiveness towards others. But there might be a necessity for separation. People like to hear sometimes, you know, I've had to say to people, look, okay, your happiness is not always the goal of your marriage, and if you feel like you need to separate, okay, but don't have the idea or the mindset that... Um, you're waiting, you're entitled to be happy. You know, I, my spouse doesn't make me happy, so I'm going to divorce because I'm entitled to be happy. No, you're not. No, you're not. 
We're not entitled to be happy. In fact, Jesus said, in this world, you will have troubles. Now, don't post that on your refrigerator with a picture of your spouse. He said, in this world, you will have troubles. Take heart, heart, I've overcome the world. There are going to be challenges. There's going to be differences. There's there's going to be some uh, times when, you know, and I I love, I've quoted this many times, but I love what uh, Ruth Ruth Graham was asked one time, the wife of, um, she's now deceased, but the wife of Billy Graham. And she was asked one time, have you ever contemplated divorce? She said, divorce, no. Murder, yes. And, you know, there's going to be times that it feels like that. Um, And sometimes people might have to accept the fact that they will be in a long-term celibate separation. If they don't have a biblical grounds for divorce and the separation doesn't seem to move towards reconciliation... They might have to resign themselves that this is going to be a long-term, celibate, separate situation. And I know that we love the ideal, the idealistic uh, views of marriage sometimes, when I'm entitled to be happy and my spouse is not meeting my needs and, and, I, and I don't, we have irreconcilable differences and all this kind of stuff. But, but, but that's the easy way out that a lot of people uh, will resort to. That's not what God's people should resort to. Uh, the, the goal should always be holiness. How can I be more Christ-like? Marriage is like a mirror. It will expose yourself in ways you've never seen before. Um, who's married here and can say amen to that? Right? And, and it will cause you to realize some of your shortcomings, deficiencies, and it will cause you to become more Christ-like if you will turn that into, Lord, how can you... Do your good work in my heart so um, that I can be the best husband or the best wife to this wife or man that you've given me. And for you to move into Christ-likeness more and more and deeper in your faith as a result of marriage and sometimes the the struggles that marriage involves. This is difficult. And Jesus even said, because the disciples in this story, they say, well, maybe we shouldn't get married. I mean, that's right here. They, they say to him in verse 10, well, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it is better not to marry. And Jesus said, you know, some are eunuchs by birth. Some have, def- you know, just genetic defects. And others are made eunuchs by choice, eunuchs in the king's service. They would be castrated, made eunuchs in service to the king. Uh, and others are eunuchs, he speaks here spiritually. There are some who will believe, and this is legitimate, that God has just called them to a life of singleness. And sometimes God calls people to just a life of singleness. Paul alludes to it in his own life in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, and, he, and he speaks about if you feel like you want to get married, get married. Don't burn with passion, but get married. But yet, if God has given you the gift of singleness, and, he's, and he refers to even himself, he says, then it's okay if you want to remain single. And if somebody feels that God wants them to be single, please don't buy into this current mindset that it must mean they're gay. Okay? It's so ridiculous the way if somebody's single, it must, must mean they're, they're gay. That is just, that's become more of a trend in, in the way our culture is today. But that should not be the way that Christians view single people because there are some singles who obviously want to be married and there are some singles who are content to be in their singleness. And we need to respect that and honor that because God is going to use them in a greater way. There's some, there's some ways that singles can be used to a greater degree than married people because they are, they are less committed 
in terms of a responsibility in a marriage or a family relationship that now they can have somewhat of a greater commitment to God's work. And so some single people make some of the, the best servants of the Lord because they are less... Um, <laughs> well, I was going to say distracted, but that makes marriage sound like it's a distraction. But you know what I'm saying. And, and so anyway, this, this is obviously a difficult subject. Obviously, when I, when I talk to any crowd of any size, statistically, half of you have been divorced. And then we start talking about a subject like this. And some of you might leave here going, okay, I've been divorced, and, and I didn't, mine wasn't one of these two reasons, and now, you know, am I, am I to leave here feeling shamed? Am I to leave here feeling guilty? And uh, maybe you even knew the two reasons. Maybe you didn't know the reasons that the Bible gives. And I just simply want to say this. First of all, divorce is not the unpardonable sin. It is not. And sadly, in some circles of the church, they treat people like that. You're divorced... There's a scarlet letter on you, you can't serve, you can't be used, and um, you're tainted. Uh, And that's tragic. It is not the unpardonable sin. If you have had, if you've been through a divorce, uh, what I always encourage people after we have a Bible study like this is to not go back now and to reevaluate and reanalyze, you know, did I have grounds, I didn't have grounds, you know. Uh, She said she was a believer, but she still left me. What do you do with those? I thought only the unbelieving spouse could leave, but she said she was a believer, and if she was really a believer, she shouldn't have left me. But it gets very confusing. Every situation is somewhat complicated and unique. As pastors, we've had to sit down with people and talk through different situations and extenuating circumstances and try to help people understand their particular situation. This is not always as cut and dry as some people like to think it is. It's messy. Uh, That's the way sin is. It's often messy. But it's not the unpardonable sin. And I would just simply say that now you do know, and to the degree that you have an understanding and awareness from God's Word, now you are responsible. And so you can't go back. You can't undo. You can't change things. And don't try to. Move forward now with the knowledge of what God says in His Word and with His grace. I know a man years ago came to me, he doesn't go to our church, but years ago, when I was a youth pastor, actually, and one of his, his, a couple of his girls were in my youth ministry, and he came to me and he says, I'm divorcing my wife. I said, why are you divorcing your wife? He said, because she was my second wife, which I knew, and he said, I should never have left my first wife, and I'm going back to her. I said, news bulletin, you left your first wife, you have a second wife, and you have three beautiful girls, that is God's will for you now. This is God's will for you. And he didn't listen. He went back to his first wife, destroyed his family. You cannot go back. No matter what your past, you can't go back. So you ask the Lord, if forgiveness is needed, forgive me. And Lord, you see this, you know this, and you paid for this on the cross. Now, I just need to move forward in obedience I need to honor you in my marriage now or whatever your state is in your singleness now. And I want to just live my life in a way that glorifies you. And so go in his grace, knowing that the past is the past and it can be forgiven and and Jesus died for it all. But take this to heart and commit now moving forward that I'm going to be committed to my spouse or I'm going to be content in whatever and any situation I find myself. 
and allow the Lord to do His good work in your hearts. Thanks for joining Pastor Gary today for this study in the Gospel of Matthew on Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to hear this teaching again or explore additional messages, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc and click on Teachings. You can download our mobile app, too, while you're there. It's under On The Go. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? If so, we want to invite you to join us for church at Cornerstone Chapel. We're meeting each Sunday in person at 8.30 and 11.45, as well as on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. CornerstoneConnection.cc is the place to get all the information you need, along with directions to our campus. You can also see what's going on during the week and what Cornerstone Chapel offers in the way of small groups, youth ministry, and more. And you can meet the staff. If you're not able to join us in person right now, that's okay. We're live streaming each Sunday and Wednesday service at cornerstoneconnection.cc. If you have any questions for us, or if you'd like to share a prayer request, please connect with us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thanks for joining us to study Matthew, and we hope you'll tune in again to learn more about Jesus. That's right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know